Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Greetings and welcome to the podcast, So There I Was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. This is the podcast that takes you on thrilling adventures and heart-pumping journeys. This week's episode, titled 50,000 Feet and Nothing Running But My Wristwatch. <laughs> this is one you won't want to miss. Join us as we sit down with Slath. Slath Sr., in fact, Marine Corps aviator and father of our guest from two weeks ago. Slath Sr. takes us on a journey through his incredible career from his time as a Naval Aviation Cadet, attending Aviation Officer Candidate School in 1955, to flying the F-9 and the F-84 jets, and deploying on the USS Lake Champlain. He has some terrifying tales about that. What's so unique about the Lake Champlain? Well, that was the last of the straight deck carriers in service in the United States Navy. This week's show is so packed with exciting stories, we had to split it into two parts. Unfortunately, Fig is on vacation, and the pre-recorded preamble we did together got corrupt. So don't worry, Fig will be back next week, and he's here with us in this show. And as a special treat, this week we also get to wish a happy 89th birthday to Slaff Sr. We are honored to have him join us, and hope that we have half the energy and mental sharpness if we get anywhere near the age of 89. So, folks, sit back, relax, and get ready for another great guest on So There I Was. And remember, don't sit on the ejection handle. At night, in the world's smallest cockpit, on the tanker, through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. There I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So, there I was, 21 years old. I'm on the airplane for the first time, leaving Chicago, thunderstorms outside of Pensacola. We land in Mobile and have to be bused to our initial home away from home, arriving at 3 a.m. and expected for calisthenics. <laughs> At 4.30. By such a smiling and warm, welcoming faces of Marine Corps staff and COs, I'm certain. That's how all great aviation tales begin. You're listening to the podcast. So there I was. Welcome. This is Repeat coming to you from home in New Hampshire today with my co-host, Fig. Hello. And I am well, I am in Kansas City, Carney. And uh, we have with us a very special guest. Oh, uh, it's the first, another first. This is... Slaff, OG Slaff, the original Slaff. Right. Not just uh, any Slaff, the Slaff. Not just any Slaff, it's the Slaff. Former Naval Marine Corps aviator and the creator of the other Slaff. Right, from a couple <laughs> weeks ago, right on. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is a real treat, a real treat. There's well, a story I, uh, about that. Okay, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> wait, this is this is an R-rated show, not a. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding! So, did you say that was your first flight in an, in an airplane? I think so. I built model airplanes. That's what got me into aviation. I loved uh, model airplanes, and I said, "Wouldn't it be neat to have one of these military airplanes all by yourself?" Yeah, Holy and cow. that was that was the goal at that point. So if, if I remember correctly uh, from uh, a previous interview with uh, Slaff Jr., 
you initially were a NAVCAD, is that correct? That's correct. And that's okay, where tell, I was headed that, that night. I was okay. there is what I was headed that night. To be a NAVCAD, you have to have two years of college. So I decided when I got out of high school, I better get two years of college and become a NAVCAD because that's the best flight training you could get in the world. And so that's what I decided. And that's why I ended up in Pensacola that dark and windy night. So, so you actually set out to get two years of college specifically to get in the NAVCAD program. Is that correct? Absolutely. Holy cow. That's awesome. That was my goal. So I arrived at three o'clock in the morning and up jumping around at four. And there I was going yeah. into the final physical you have to pass to get into the NAVCAD program. We go over to the hospital, get the physical and I flunked the 2020 test in my left eye. Yeah, because you had no sleep. That's what my thought was. And that's what the corpsman said. But you're coming back tomorrow to take another test. Well, you had a restful night that first night at OCS, I'm sure. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh oh, no stress great. involved. So I got up in the morning and went back. Oh, they took me by myself. And so there I was. There was that eye chart. And I looked at that eye chart and I closed my right eye first and looked out my left eye and repeated from the 2020 line, H-E-L-E-A-T-H-E-L-T. And that's to this date, the 2020 line on that chart. <laughs> and that was almost 70 years ago. Nice. My gosh. <laughs> yeah. Some, some things stick with you. Wow. That's right. So it was an eventful week because a number of things happened. You guys didn't have the choice to go through with something like this, but one week of hazing, which I didn't know that they were hazing us. They showed us these movies with the nine Navy airplanes off the carrier going out and, and none of them come back. Well, I thought that was just kind of normal. But by the time we uh, finished that week, we had lost three guys that were hazed out. Well, I don't think they liked, liked the 4.30 in the morning calisthenics either. So anyhow. Well, there's that. Well, how, hey, how, many, how many guys uh, started in your NAVCAD class? I mean, when you showed up a, there, him. It was about 50. Okay. And um, they started many, falling fast. And yes, that's right. They did. But when we got out, we had a Marine captain in charge of this first week. <clears throat> And uh, he uh, said, well, you'd notice that we'd show these, these movies on purpose because we didn't want any, anybody that had any doubts to go any further. And, uh, and I shook my head. At it. I didn't notice anything, you know. He says, but I'm going to tell you one thing. Next 18 months are the most dangerous part of your naval aviation career. And if you get killed in this next 18 months, the chances are four to one, it'll be in a car. Wow. So that was, that was the message. <laughs> so st stay out of cars. Right. <laughs> stay out of the bars, stay out of the stay cars. Out. <laughs> and that was very easy. Oh. So one other very important thing happened in this first week, and then we'll get on with some airplane stuff. But I learned in this first week that only 45% of the guys that, that got their Navy wings and stayed in the Navy got to fly single seat jets, 
when I was getting out. And I learned that 85% of the Marines were getting single seat jets. That was my goal. And however I needed to do it, I was going to come out a Marine. Well, how about that? I would talk a little bit about how that happened, but it, it took a while, but uh, obviously it did happen. Okay, yeah, because uh, so somebody said that there was a MARCAD program at one point, so a Marine Cadet program. But uh, So you were a NAVCAD and, and on track to become a Naval officer, not a Marine officer. How did you manage to get yeah, that inter-service transfer? Anyhow, MARCAD came out after me. Okay. Okay. And I knew about it, but uh, it, it was all NAVCADs when I was there. Okay. But <clears throat> the rest of the flight uh, training class had all of the commission guys, uh, the boat school guys, and, uh, coming in as ensigns or second lieutenants in the Marine Corps. And so they were a whole separate group and kept well away from us. They had the cars. We had no cars. Yeah, yeah, you were you were getting uh, no pay, and they were no getting pay. officer pay. No yeah, pay, right. no cars, no wives <laughs> no allowed. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's all, right. Although we had one guest who was a NAFCAD who was not married. That was his story, and he stuck with it. Right. Yeah. That. Well, that's right. We had guy like that too. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. wasn't married. He just smelled smelled a lot like it. That's all. So we can go on from there. I. Uh, Flew for seven years after I started flying as an AVCAD. And uh, I just counted them up and I had seven important airplanes nice. that I flew during this period. Nice. What were they and, and how many what, hours did you get total? I'm sorry to interrupt. Total of a thousand hours, a little okay. over a thousand hours. And uh, I just call them off here. Obviously, the SNJ. That's all the only trainer we flew until the T-28 came along. Okay. I have a, so there I was with my six carrier landings and back to uh, softly field for instruments. And they had these new yellow airplanes that, uh, the T-28B. And I was the first, first, uh, cadet to, well, first guy in the naval naval training program to fly one. Oh, they were they were so new to the new training airplane. New new oh, training shit. airplane, and I got some stories there. But anyhow, so the T twenty eight TB two, we picked that up the T thirty three in uh, when it went up to Memphis actually in Warrington, which is a oh, very few people got that. Then into the advanced at uh, Sherman, came back to Sherman. Uh, for an F-9, F-2s, and then into the fleet, Banshees for a gun squadron tour, and then F-9, F-8 Cougars for an F for a gun squadron tour, both in the same squadron, and then into the Air Guard flying uh, F-84Fs for a third gun, gun squadron tour. So I was really lucky, very lucky. Nobody gets to do that. Oh, yeah. Nice. Right? Yeah. Three gun squadron tours. Unheard of. Yep. Yeah. What Air Guard unit? I was going to Purdue for my, to get finished my degree. Yeah. And they had one in Fort Wayne. Okay. I, yeah. I, I needed money. So I joined the Guard and had a wonderful tour with those guys. I was writing at a furious, uh, furious pace. I, I think I missed. Uh, so in between, uh, what was after the, uh, T-28, you, you, you had a jet, you had a jet trainer. 
Uh, yes, it was TV2, the T-33. TV2, Navy called it TV2. Okay, okay. So it was a T-33, single T-33. engine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. TV2. Yeah. Same as the T-33. Okay. And then when you had the story of the, our ace there flying the F-9F2, that really got to me because I flew it in training and we did gunnery yeah. and the whole thing with it. And yeah. those airplanes came from Korea because they had a bunch of patched up bull holes in them. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> you may have had time in his jet. <laughs> Might have. Yeah. 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 He, what did he, I think Captain Williams said it, it, it flew again. It might've made it back, back to the training command. Do, do you yeah. Remember? Yeah. Cause oh, yes. Wikipedia or somebody, one of the stories said, yeah, they shoved that overboard, but he said, Oh no, no, they, they, they patched her up and she flew. Yeah. It so, could be. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. We, so, so somewhere in here, uh, you, you, you got the opportunity to transition services. How yes. did that work? So, uh, in uh, flight training program, probably a lot like what you guys did, we got a chance to answer a questionnaire. It says, would you like to be a Marine? And I answered positive on that, of course. And a few of my other buddies did. There's a lot of the swabbies didn't want to go anywhere near there, especially after the first week. <laughs> in any event, we were interviewed and they waited till we were about halfway through the flight training program. So they've got a good solid record on how we were flying. And then we get an invitation to become a Marine. And that came at uh, Baron, Baron Field when we were transitioning and doing gunnery in our first formation flying. So from there on, I was designated to be commissioned a second lieutenant. Okay. After you got winged, is that, did you have to go to the basic school or anything or how to, I mean, what? No, what was, that was my good luck. More good luck. Okay. I didn't have to go to basic school. They gave the NAVCAD training as, as what it was. So I never had to be a platoon commander. Okay. Okay. Thanks. That was easy. <laughs> why, why pay dues if you don't have to? Sounds like yeah. you paid enough already to get oh, there. So. <laughs> right? That's right. I think so. That's one of the most memorable. So there I was in, off the boat with my six carrier landings, knowing I was going to be a Marine, getting in my first super powerful airplane, the T-28B. At that point, it was the fastest airplane to 10,000 feet anywhere. Oh, because of the large reciprocating engine it had. And I had a Marine captain who was going to show me how to fly it. And he got me in the cockpit in the front seat. And he says, there, he says, this is the first airplane since the Corsair that'll do a loop on top of an Amelman. And I'm going right. to show you how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so off we went. Brand new airplane. Gets it up to a red line going downhill, pulls it up into a loop, and sure enough, flips it over and turns it into a, a loop. And it's kind of shaking at the top. And he comes back and he says, see that? Now you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't stall. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. There you go. So that, there I was, and I survived that one. That's amazing. You know, in the last week we had a guy who was told to take his very first Harrier ride. No, no solos, no simulators. He goes out and he gets told how to depart the aircraft 
and install it purposely. Oh so man. The things that if we'd only known then how, how crazy some of the stuff we were doing early on was, we might never have gotten through it. So did you actually depart that airplane on purpose? Uh, you could. It, it, fortunately, it was. Uh, it it would uh, be docile enough to come back for you if you just kind of let go of everything and neutralized. She'd go nose down, and you could get her back. But his first ride, he was talking about. Uh, in fact, he opened the show talking about it. How he was told to get to twenty five thousand feet, pull the nozzles into ninety degrees, and just keep coming up on the power until it lost so much airspeed it departed. And here's how and to it recover. Did. yes it did (laughs) which was terrifying i mean because some of those airplanes that you couldn't depart it you know the 14 was known for you know you could get that thing out of control and not regain it if you weren't careful and i'm imagine a lot of the airplanes you flew were the same way yeah but so there i was uh an f9 8b just out of uh overall i think and it needed a test flight and I, I was, uh, we'll get into it. I was flight officer in my uh, second tour in Marine tour, which is a great. What squadron, what squadron was that? Uh, 533. Okay. 533. Went back with Scott and they were flying out of the same ready room that uh, 206 was in. <clears throat> out, I think it was 206. Whatever the, the squad, uh, the Harrier, the Harriers had two gun squadrons at Cherry Point, I think. Uh, 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 recently? Uh, or, or was this uh, back, back in the day? 10, 15 was... years ago. 10, 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, at Cherry Point, there were 231, 542, and 223. 331 flamed out shortly after the first Gulf War. So, okay. Or decommissioned. Uh, uh, so. Okay. It, it was one of those, and, and it was in the same ready rooms that, that 533 was. 533 okay. had left and gone uh, to West Beck, to the West Coast. Okay. <clears throat> after I left it. So, okay, here I am. Um, the We called the F9, uh, the F98, well, we called all the F9s Grumman tanks. That's basically what they were. (laughs) But anyhow, got got up to 25,000 feet, and I'd heard a lot about how the airplane uh, had a very nasty high-speed stall characteristic. So I put it in to a high-speed stall, and that baby went into an inverted spin and corkscrewed into the the, uh, atmosphere. And by the time I uh, got it out, I was at about 9,000 feet. Oh, boy. So that was my departure uh, activity. That was about it for me. I wasn't going to do that again. That's the Banshee, correct? No, no. That's the F9, the Cougar. Oh, the Cougar. Okay. Yeah. And is the, the Cougar is a twin engine? No. The Banshee's the twin engine. We'll get, Banshee's twin we'll engine. We'll go back Coug- to that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Holy shit. So anyhow, that, with you guys uh, even coming close to doing that, and we had uh, we had problems with that uh, high speed stall. Actually, the airplane had to be redesigned uh, before it oh. went to the fleet, and they put a flying tail on it. By the time I got it, it had the flying table tail, and a good thing it did. But uh, so anyhow, okay. Can you? Des- uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you describe what that is yeah. and why that's important? What, what it is that did for you. Okay. Yeah. It didn't have enough uh, tail surface 
to get itself out of a uh, of of an inverted spin, <clears throat> and and it it really wasn't uh, it wasn't a good tail design. So what they did is they used the old design with a normal elevator and whole thing, and use that at low speeds, and then you you uh, hooked in a thing where the whole uh, back elevator would move up and down. Oh, and the that whole would get thing, like the whole stab. thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that was, that was a flying table. So uh, they, uh, they had some problems with that, but uh, uh, there's, there's a, another case where uh, that can cause, cause problems also because it, it had to, you had to be able to get it out of flying tail in a hurry. So he had a big switch on the left-hand side and you could bang that switch and it would come out of flying tail. Oh, jeez. Wow. <laughs> Anyhow, the T28B, I did the loop on top of the Immelman. But when I finished uh, instruments in the T28, they were sending a few guys up to Millington, Tennessee, just outside of Memphis. Yeah. And it was a big Navy electronics training area, and they had a good airfield and they needed more more room so they put a bunch of uh, t-33s up there and t-28s and they went did advanced instruments so the next thing after uh, basic instruments was the second bar for a navcad and uh, sent us up there <clears throat> and so it was a nice kind of a nice Thing. I, I am one of the few naval aviators that went through flight training and never went to Texas. I don't know. Maybe they're doing more of that now. But I never went to Texas. Certainly Scott did, and you guys probably did. Sure. Yep. yep. <laughs> but uh, we went to Memphis. So we got there in a nice, small, little uh, group. They had four. We had four students and two instructors to get into the hot and heavy instruments and and get through it starting in in t-28s and and then uh our first jet uh instruments in the tv2 the t-33 so before we went under the bag we got the solo in it and fly that the first thing i didn't tell you i met these seven different airplanes that i've described you and i never met one that did didn't try to kill me <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. And as as you right. get further and further through, you begin to look at the for these idiosyncrasies. Well, right. The TV two had one, and we kind of learned the hard way with these four kids. We had uh, three. Uh, we had three navcads and one uh, kid from the from the boat school. And uh, so he was headed, to, he was already an ensign. And so we uh, transitioned to the, uh, to the T-33. And what the kill you on the T-33 was, you had to keep, had a 95 gallon tank right behind the pilot. And you had to keep that full by using a series of four switches down here on the lower and and there's certain certain was sequences that, sequences that valves and pumps just to pump, keep valves the seat. and pumps to keep yeah. keep the airplane balanced and and pump the wing they're both 
they all had always had wing tanks. So you had to pump those down evenly so you didn't get a, <clears throat> But when you come back and get into the pattern, you make damn sure that that 95 gallon tank is full because if that runs dry, the engine quits. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. And that can kill you. And it did. It killed this ensign while I was in the pattern, actually. So, oh my gosh. So that was kind of my first up close and personal brush with death. But yeah. my 95-gallon tank was full, I'll tell you that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and I, I bet it stayed that way from thenceforth. <laughs> sure. So these four guys and these two instructors were not very lucky because two days later, uh, <clears throat> the instructor and one of the NAVCADs, obviously not me, were doing a, a, a high-speed jet penetration and flew into the Mississippi river. Oh, wow. So here we had four guys and two instructors and we lost three of them in a wow. period of two weeks. So there I was understanding what the military aviation is like. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, uh, that's a gut check right there. For real. It is. Uh, it didn't bother me. I'm, I was fearless until I got, until I started flying <laughs> night FSCLPs. <laughs> okay. Right. So that's field carrier landing practice to, per, that's to right. pretend to go to the boat and get ready to go to the yeah, boat. Get, oh. So that the rest of the, uh, the rest of the uh, period in, in flight training was good. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting into a squatting and getting a, an assignment, figuring out what that would be and, and make sure I have just one seat and then I'll, I'll be very, very happy. We got into the F9, F2, and a lot of uh, had that a good uh, guy out of Korea that was uh, a Marine taking us around, and, and, and we learned a lot then. It was a lot much more like uh, uh, a gun, gun squadron experience. But by that time, we were down back down to um, to main side to uh, uh, flying with the Blue Angels. So we were in the same hangar and and we were there for, I don't know how long they did that, but uh, not very many advanced guys got to go through F9s there. So anyhow, that <clears throat> ended up my, uh, my uh, period until I was a full-fledged naval aviator and a gold bar and <clears throat> probably the greenest nugget that ever came out of there. But oh, that's, that's okay. so, so just so I got this, did you go to the boat in the, in the T2V? No. No, we went okay. to the boat in the, in the uh, uh, SNJ. In the SNJ, did you do? Did you go to the boat in the T twenty eight? Nope. Okay. They yeah, went. To, they went to the boat later. They began to fly them to the boat, but it was just instruments when I went through. And so was the was the F nine F your advanced jet trainer? Is that when That's the, right. you got winged after that? F nine F two, right? We're just and, and, getting that, and we didn't go to the boat in the F nine F two. Remember, okay, okay. they were all straight deck at that time. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and I'll tell you about that. We'll yeah, get that's so, terrifying. I want, I'm eager to hear about that, what so that I, was like we'll flying on it. and off a of straight yeah, deck. Yeah, I think we might as well move on here. Oh, let's yeah. just go there. And anyhow, I uh, finished, got my wings, my uh, fiance and my, uh, uh, my mother came down and... Uh, 
got got my wings and went home, got married. Not, no, not quite then. I, and I got my assignment. Uh, F2H4s, I didn't know what a banshee was, but I knew it had been in Korea and I knew it only had one seat and I knew it had two engines. So it sounded pretty good. <laughs> so they sent me to uh, the MFA 533 in Cherry Point. So I was happy to get there. They, there were two other nuggets and myself and a couple of other fairly junior guys in the squadron. And when I got there, they locked it down. No more new pilots because we were deploying within less than six months. And we were going to go to see on the uh, uh, four stall. So that, that was very exciting because I looked at the list of missions that the F2H4 had. It had a had a air-to-air radar in it and a big uh, nose cone and, and the whole thing. The only problem, it never worked. But uh, that was one issue. Loved the two engines. Uh, uh, the airplane flew uh, uh, very well. But we were on the fast track. Three flights a day for me, you know, I here I was hadn't been in a gun squadron, had a lot of training to do. Right. So there I was, three flights a day. Wow. We do one low level because we we had the mission. The missions we had special weapons, and so we had to go to uh, go to uh, special weapons school, and get qualified in that. We and the special weapons were all low level deliveries. We had two deliveries: the low level, the, the over the shoulder, and the and the pitch. And then we had a, <clears throat> a way to deliver them from. 20, 30,000 feet, which we do, never do we need to, uh, do we need to discuss what special weapons really means? Um, Mark 12s, uh, nuclear weapons. Yeah. Tactical nuclear. Okay. Tactical nuclear. Yeah. Thank you. And that was the, uh, yeah, the, uh, I don't That's, know what to say. Not the golden the, years of the Cold the War. High, but the, was, uh, uh, the Cold was, War was in full yeah. swing then. Uh, yeah, it was. That's what yeah. the Sixth Fleet was all about when I went yeah. to it. Duck and cover, baby. Get under that desk. Get some <laughs> nuclear blast. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> That'll help. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But anyhow, uh, uh, very uh, one and one item. I was in the squadron and, and doing all this flying. So I was always in the ready room and, and the other guys too, because we needed to get some hours before we got into the nitty gritty of this deployment. And uh, so we got an airplane back from, from uh, ONR and ONR was for the bench. He was in Cherry Point. So uh, we got it back and they need somebody to go and fly it and be up there. And it didn't have tip tags on it. And so I had heard through the grapevine that an F2H4 without tip tanks would go to 50,000 feet. And I wanted to go to 50,000 feet. So I got there and headed up. And uh, so there I was. Beautiful, oh boy. 49,800 feet, 900 feet, 990 feet, <laughs> just a little more throttle. And everything quit. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> so there there was, was nothing running about your watch. Was nothing running but my wristwatch. <laughs> <laughs> so th- I don't know if you guys ever did anything like this, but uh, I uh-huh. never told anybody. No one saw me. You can't prove never, anything. 
Never oh. told anybody till now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so what happens? So the airplane is an electrical monster. So all yeah. you can think of battery, battery, battery. Can't stop. Can't start. They can't do an air start until 20,000 feet. And here I'm at 50 and electric speed brakes. And what if I put the speed brakes out and can't get them in? And right. all of those things. No, no, no. I'm, so I'm not going to test the speed brake handle. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> and I'm not going to talk to anybody. So the radios go off. Everything goes off. And then I was feeling a little better because I was starting to lose some, some altitude, maybe all already down to close to 40,000 feet. But they had the, but the good news was, is we shut down engines all the time and started them and shut them down. But we never shut down two of them. Right. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> who would do that? <laughs> so uh, then the next problem comes along. The cockpit starts to fog over because you got oh, yeah. no no air conditioning. And it's, right. it's just, yeah. Am I going to have to do this thing blind? But I was in a flame out pattern by the time I was at 40,000 feet, round and round. And I looked at those long runways. You know those Cherry Point runways. Oh, yeah. The most amazing airfield in the world, any place for somebody yeah. <laughs> to fly off of. It was just right. incredible. The bottom line, the engine started right up uh, at 20,000 feet. Both of them started up, and I went back and learned from my experience. Anyhow, that was that that was a good one. Man. Fortunately, you were able to learn from your own lesson instead of somebody else learning from your lesson the hard way. Well, no, that's right. right. That like the like the fuel pump. Yeah. yeah. Well, do me a favor here, gents. Let me tell you about a couple folks that helped bring this show to you. Hey, Fig, you got your private pilot rating before you in the Marine Corps, didn't you? Yes, I did, and it was a lot of work. And a lot of effort because the information I needed wasn't readily available at your fingertips like it is nowadays. It was a lot to get prepared to take my aura and my check right. Well, as you know, I got my private certificate in college as well. And here's something that I wish I'd had available when I was working on becoming a private pilot. There's a new podcast perfect for the student pilot or current pilot wanting to refresh their knowledge. It's called the Audio Ground School Podcast. The host, Nick Smith, founded and created the online ground school and student pilot resource website, parttimepilot.com. That's parttimepilot.com. Parttime Pilot has the sole objective of decreasing student pilots' hurdles when training to become a pilot. If you check out the podcast, be sure to look in the show notes of each episode because in them, you'll find video lessons, downloads, and other helpful resources. I highly recommend not only listening to the podcast, but subscribing to it so you can get notified of each episode and keep track of many promotions and scholarships they put out at Part-Time Pilot. What a great resource for anyone learning to fly, refreshing, or coming up on a biennial flight review. You may remember, I mentioned my son is working on his private pilot certificate. The timing of this couldn't be better. Thank you to Nick over at the Audio Ground School podcast at parttimepilot.com. I'm excited to watch how much easier this will be for him with a great resource like this. Right. Hey, and while we're on recommendations, let me take a minute and mention our sponsor, Robin's Bird Brain Designs. She offers a wide range of customization options for their coasters, including squadron logos and call signs, organization logos, and even aircraft instruments. These unique designs are perfect for anyone in the military or aviation industry or for anyone who appreciates the beauty of these intricate designs. 
Their attention to detail and commitment to quality is evident in every piece they create, making their coasters a truly special one-of-a-kind gift. Whether you're looking for a gift for a friend, family member, or a special way to show appreciation to a colleague or client, Robin's Bird Brain Designs has got you covered. Their custom etching services are not limited to coasters either. They can also create custom designs on a variety of other items, including plaques, cutting boards, or even a laptop or iPad. Their product customization is perfect for anyone who appreciates the beauty of personalized gifts. Overall, Robin's Bird Brain Designs is an excellent choice for anyone looking for a unique and thoughtful gift. Their custom etching services are unparalleled, and their commitment to quality and customer satisfaction is second to none. Robin'sBirdBrainDesigns.com Did the uh, F2H have uh, hydraulically boosted flight controls, or was it all cables and pulleys? It was pretty much cables and pulleys, I believe. I don't think we had... So you didn't have any any problem with the engine shutdown. You didn't have any problems with the controllability. No, no, none at all. The other nice thing about when you shut down the engines, they had a flap on the intake. They would completely go down to zero. And so a lot of the drag was reduced by by that. And that would comes to another story, but it'll come. So I got into, into carrier aviation and it all of a sudden it becomes really big in your windscreen when you know you're going to go to sea first of the year. And here I w- was in July, August, uh, already had a plan for my wife. She was going to go home and work and save up for a car that I could buy when I'm in Europe. So that was all planned. So uh, the next thing I want to do, say, so there I was looking at how it is to land on a carrier, an angle deck carrier. The Forstall was quite new at this time. This was its uh, first tour under the Sixth Fleet. And it was going to go January of 1957. And so we had to get ready. So off we go. We set up the CLP which is a piece of cake with the pattern for an angled deck because you've got the meatball, you've got the mirror. Yeah. We'd all learned that when the Brits invented the mirror for their carriers and we adopted it, it reduced accidents on these carriers by about a factor of four, which is I believe really, it. Yeah. really That's an amazing very image. big. And he's beginning to look at the pattern. The pattern was 500 feet. And the old patterns that we were flying, uh, even uh, the flat patterns that we flew in the training program, were uh, about uh, 150 feet off the ground. So that was a big, a very big difference. Yeah. Uh, Margin for safety built in that way. Oh, yeah. That's right. And so we went down to Gitmo. The FDR was down there, and FDR is an earlier angled that carrier. See, so we went down there to qualify, uh, 6, 10, 15 landings. But we were day-night. We had to be a night fighter on our deployment, so we had to do day and night. So it was, a, it was very nice, nice weather down in off of Gitmo, and the carrier kicked up a nice wake that you could see from 200 miles away because of right. all the algae in the water. So anyhow, that was uh, straightforward. And we come back and we get the word when we get back from that with 
two months to go. So that was September, October. We get the word that uh, they're taking us off of the forestall and putting us on the Lake Champlain, the last straight deck carrier. Oh boy. To go to the Sixth Fleet. It's going to be the, it was going to be the last one, but guess who was going to be on it? So that <laughs> lucky you, <laughs> we all saw that. So we started immediately, very quick to get into the FCLP because the FCLP on a straight deck carrier is really a lot different. It's you got to fly down, you're just over the ground at maybe uh, 75, hundred feet uh, oh my God. because the straight deck pattern is flat. Where the angle deck pattern, you start at 500 and you end up at 180 feet. And so you're coming down and you got the meatball to, to guide you and, and uh, yeah. particularly important at, at night. But straight deck so carrier, we got LSOs. Yeah, and you don't have a glide path. It sounds like you just no, no. flew it straight onto the back of the deck and Tell me, that's, I'm terrified right now. Yeah, oh, you see, and, and the big difference is all of a sudden you go from just just you being in control. The, the LSO on an angle that carrier is a safety officer. Right. He, he can see some dangerous techniques or something like that, but he doesn't, doesn't control it. But on an angle right. deck carrier, the LSO is in charge. He He's as much flying the airplane as you are. You, you mean on the straight deck carrier? On the straight deck carrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. On the straight yeah. deck carrier. And okay. Cow. Now, just let me tell you about the night. The <laughs> night on a straight deck carrier. Oh, please don't. <laughs> the, the LSO has lights on his arms and his legs to make a signal to the pilot. Oh, he has yeah. to move. He has to move very. If he gives you a cut, a fast cut you can't see it but if he, he gives you a cut i can't i can't do it here he gives you a cut like that you can see it so he has to uh, always have blue water between him and you when he gives you that cut so, so he has to exaggerate his movements but do it slowly and it sounds like he's got christmas tree lights wrapped around every arm and leg and- that's right that's <laughs> oh my that's right that's right yes so uh, on into that terrifying. so Blake Champlain was in Norfolk at that point. And so we could go up there and qualify on it. So we concentrate on that, that part very heavily, uh, you know, uh, particularly the night and night is just awful, but you get a good night and it's, it's okay. And all about having a, having a, a horizon. If you have a horizon, you're fine. So, we went up. Was there. it still four wires? No, there was like, wires like seven. Okay, seven okay. or eight. Well, more important that you don't bolter on a straight deck. Uh, yeah, they don't have didn't have such a thing. They call that a crash. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> seven wires, uh, and then the barricade 18, 18 foot barricade was the final thing that they had. Okay. But then they also had a, uh, a resting gear that flipped up and caught the, the main gear if you missed all the wires. And okay. that would be kind of hard on the airplane. So we went aboard with our group and uh, the skipper couldn't qualify. Couldn't qualify. Uh, he was a World War II guy, a neat guy. I don't remember his name. 
But anyhow, not too important. They had to take him off. And so we went with the exec. So we had wow. a pretty senior, yeah. pretty senior major as an exec, but we didn't have a light colonel. We had about four majors that were the flight leaders and all the rest, lieutenants and a couple sure. of captains. Hey, Slaff, at that time, how many planes were in a gun squadron and how many uh, pilots? Depends if it was employed or not. But if it's in a gun, gun squadron, we'd have about 14 to 16 airplanes and 22 to 26 pilots, something like okay. that. Okay. So we went to sea. We had about, I think we had uh, 14 airplanes, depending on how many we broke that week. <laughs> and uh, we had about 21 pilots because you couldn't just pick a pilot up and send him out as a replacement here. Uh, if we lost somebody, we had to go without him. Okay. Oh, there you go. That's terrifying, though. The, the, <laughs> the, the being at night with no margin for error at, at that altitude and, and the lights and barricade no bolters allowed oh yeah oh yeah so you found yourself all qualified and ready to go where did that bring you okay so there i was just off the coast of the u.s and we have our first casualty on the f9 squadron the the exec takes off and and that flying tail must have gone berserk because he flew out to about the point where the flying tail would kick out kick in and he flew into the water and so and that was uh kind of a sad kind of thing but we had an accident almost every week on this carrier so there i was uh we had a little exercise uh we did a lot of flying uh individual airplanes uh you know we we took divisions up and we took sections up, but we did a lot of missions that were fly out 200 miles and, and be a cap. And you can do that all by yourself and pretend the radar works, but, <laughs> but, um, and cap is combat air patrol, right? You're yeah, providing combat. perimeter security for the carrier group. That's right. We had a, a exercise communications exercise where they shut down all the communications on the ships and the, and both carriers that were headed for the for the med with us and we were about halfway across the Atlantic Ocean and so they had this exercise and they had a broken cloud layer about 4000 feet 3000 feet and so they catapulted me off and I went up there and looked around I couldn't see anything I said oh crap how am I going to get back to the ship where is it going to be so I I did some quick thinking and I picked a vector and I went out that vector halfway and I came back and dropped under the clouds and I, I did find the ship. They didn't leave me out there. Okay. So, so that was a, a very uh, interesting one. As we went, um, we flew, we flew nights um, from the first day we left and the deal was nobody was happy about the night flying. We had lists, uh, the flight officer had a list of, of the lieutenants and, and the wingmen and the flight leaders, which there's only four or five of them. We did it off that list. So nobody skipped a night. So if you got a good night, you were very lucky. And if you got a bad night, well, that's just the way it goes. But we did have a, have a favorite guy, and that was our flight surgeon. Love this guy. Nice. We all got a half a coffee cup full of old Fitzgerald when we got back. 
<laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. love it. For medicinal purposes only. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> One thing I did, I wasn't supposed to do, I don't suppose, but I kept a, a log or a diary of what happened to me every day on this ship. My dad gave it to me. He was a civil engineer and a pretty smart guy. He said, here, take this book and write down what you did because you're going to forget it. I give a presentation now to the local clubs and whoever wants a free uh, that I call the diary of a carrier pilot. And I go through the diary and pick up the high points of each day uh, or where I found interesting things. So there I was days. And I'll read one to you uh, here. Just Okay. This is awesome. But boy, you know, his father is a wise man, Fig, because I can't tell you how many things I've forgotten that I wish it, you know, uh, details are right. gone. I know. The March 27th, 1957, here's what my diary says. I got up early and stood duty all day. I ate supper and got ready for night flying. Merle, me, Ferg, and Jim Coleman, but it wasn't Jim, it was, uh, it was Satch who was actually on the flight. I had got that wrong in my diary. Got off about 1900. And it was just getting dark. And I could see that the weather was going to be very bad. And certainly it was very dark. We climbed. Uh, we were flying on, on Merle Davis. He was a, a flying sergeant in World War II. And one of the best pilots I ever, I ever came up with. He was a maintenance officer in the squadron, but by this time he was a major, and uh, nobody I'd rather be on their wing through a night like this, because we got wow. in the soup and climbed up above twenty-five thousand feet, and and we were in the soup all the way. Got up on top, and four of us. Uh, we got together and not much. We were supposed to do a cap and we did what we could. But we know it was going to be tough when we went back down. And by the time we headed back down, there was some rain as we got down below the, below the overcast. But it was really a dark night. Came into the four planes, came in for a break. We broke about six seconds apart. You're always very close to the guy in front of you because the captain of a carrier, the worst thing that he, the thing that he really doesn't like is to be, keep going in one direction that's predictable for more than two minutes or something like that. So we all had to get on. But it was a dark night. Uh, Ferg was flying number three, and I was number two. And Merle broke. And here we were at 300, probably uh, broke at about 300 feet, dropped down to about 150 feet. And you actually had to watch out for the, for the plane guard. It was at the, at the 180 position because it stuck up in the air uh, almost 200 feet. But anyhow, Ferg was having trouble with his lights. Something was going on. This airplane was an electrical monster, had almost 60 circuit breakers down 30 on either side, either left uh -huh. leg, right leg. And you can't see down there. You got a flashlight. You can't see anything. Some of them would be kept open on purpose. And so Ferg was having trouble getting a hook light. 
and you had to have a hook light at the break or they'd, they'd start yelling. Everybody would start yelling at you. Okay. He didn't have, and that's a, where you want to be at night at 150 feet off the water anyway, with your flashlight on heads down into a circuit. Oh, yeah, that, panel, that's, right? that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Well, yeah why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> why not? <laughs> you don't want to be so, looking out the window so you don't hit anything, you know? <laughs> so oh, Fergie was very nervous about this. I think, I think yeah. really, he, he really clutched up and, um, and that happened. So, you know, you know, how, I, I'm nervous how about happened. it. 66 years later. Yeah, that's right. Anyhow, so he was he was he was a little impulsive. The guy was a little impulsive, a little too much impulsive for for a for a fighter pilot. But he was a senior first lieutenant. And I, he 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 didn't ask me <laughs> what he should be. <laughs> Anyhow, he broke early, and he got in front of me. So I had the problem of taking spacing on him. But that's not too bad because you can see him uh, fairly fairly well. Uh, I was number two, and all of a sudden I was number three. Um, Ferg was still having <laughs> trouble. The LSO was there, hard to see, very, very hard to see, no no horizon. So we were plugging along, and Merle gets a wave off for a foul deck. They weren't quite ready for him, and he gets a wave off, so he takes a wave off, and Ferg gets a wave off, but lands anyway, crashes into the deck, through the pack, and into the water. We get the call, look away from the ship, because we're going to put the lights on. We got a pilot in the water. We got the word right then very quickly that the forest all is 85 miles away, and you're going to have to go there. That's the only place you can go. Mm. So here's where we really like the second engine. So we singled up joined up the three of us and headed for the forestall didn't know what was going on with ferg but we had to get ourselves there you know coming back to a carrier in those days we didn't have buddy tankers no way to get fuel yeah yeah you know. that, that was going to be my question you don't come to back back to the carrier with a full bag of gas either yeah, What's your fuel state? about, about uh right. we we came back that night with about 1500 pounds and uh, we're supposed to come back with uh, with three uh, three passes, and if you can't do it in three passes, then uh, we had our three passes, but not a lot extra. So we singled up and headed for the forestall, but couldn't have a better guy leading us, and so we headed for the forestall. We get into okay. to radio distance, and uh, we knew the LSO on the forestall. We, we had flown off the forestall sure. uh, angle deck. And, and he asked us, if you want the paddles or the mirror? Oh, boy. The mirror. Give us the mirror. We hadn't had seen a mirror in six months <laughs> or five months. Yeah. And we were getting, we wanted the mirror. So we get back there. And I think I got back there with about 400 pounds, something like that. Oh. And Merle makes his landing. I was second and I get a bolter and Satch makes his landing. So two down and one to go. And so I could take a fairly short pattern and come mm -hmm. around and I got the board. 
that was all good. We'd heard Ferg uh, was in the was water. The dock on, was the dock on hand to extract that uh, seat cushion from your backside? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talk about we talk about the crew on this uh, on this carrier because it, they were green as gourds too. So uh, they tied us down and we got a place to sleep and we we're going going back in the morning. But we heard Ferg was in the water and they hadn't got him. So we came back, got got a little gas and one little added so there i was gassed up started the engines and we, and we were on the port side of the ship with a with a tail hanging over i mean these kids uh, you got to save a lot of room there might my buddy might want to use the deck and so the um, captain makes the turn into the wind with a lot of zealousness and so when the ship <laughs> turns into the wind the starboard side, he was turning to the port and the starboard side bends down. And the kid that had my airplane tied down takes the chain off the nose gear and it starts coming up. So I fortunately had the engines running. So I put on enough power to keep from going backwards over the side. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so so that was the end of the of our trip to the to the forest hall. We hope never have to go there again. <laughs> right. Oh, oh my okay. gosh. Okay. So we did go back and uh, and oh, it wasn't funny. We we did a little searching from Fergie, but the, it, it was a kind of a nasty sea state. And helicopters couldn't fly at night. So we didn't we had no angel there. Mm. Uh, no way to get out except uh, the small boats from the tin can. There was uh, two small boats from the uh, destroyer in the water. And even on top of Ferg's tragedy, one of the kids on the uh, small boat got washed over and they lost him too. Oh, oh my gosh. In the, in the process of looking for Ferg? Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. They did see him, but they couldn't keep him in sight. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it was very rough. So, oh my gosh, I would have thought a life preserver on mandatory, and I, I assume it probably was, but still difficult. That tells me the sea state was 10, 12 feet or more. Yeah, it, it, it probably was. Yeah, oh, you don't know it until you get into it, but I, right. I, I, was, I wasn't going there. I, I had my 400 pounds of gas, I was going to use it. So, right. anyhow, <laughs> every last ounce. So, anyhow, that was that was the worst night, my worst night. And uh, it was very interesting. We were losing, we were having an accident at least almost once a week, some kind of an accident. Somebody bust a nose gear or, or, or something. We, we uh, lost a couple of airplanes into the water, but, but not, not that many. Nobody but Ferg got, we lost nobody but Ferg there. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, when we lost the pilot, that was the first and only pilot we lost in this. We never had another accident. I don't no. know. I don't know why. Nothing changed. We didn't huh. quit, quit going out on these nasty nights, but uh, we didn't lose anybody else. Oh, thank goodness. Did that airplane, it had an injection seat, right? Yes. Yes, okay. but, but not zero level. That was my question. It wasn't a zero-zero seat. No. And did you have to have the canopy open when you were coming aboard the ship? We had the canopy open on all landings, on okay. all all three airplanes that I flew, except when I got in the guard. They didn't open okay. canopies in the guard because I guess those guys uh, didn't worry about swimming. 
Thank you to, to all of them who served, uh, regardless That's everybody right. who That's right. stepped up, That's right. signed their name That's on the right. dotted line, and signed their name on the uh, on the blank check to uh, protect and defend the Constitution. So thank you for your service, sir. It was great. The way I did it, when they play the uh, anthems of all of the services, I get to stand up three times. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you did indeed stand up. And as you mentioned uh, pre-show, I hope you don't mind me mentioning it, you're going to be 89 next week, which That's is incredible. Right. That is incredible. I, I, I pray to God that I'm half as sharp as you uh, at, at the age of 89 and that I make it to the age of 89. Uh, <laughs> this has been a, a, a true privilege, and we appreciate the time. Thanks, guys, it. for helping me record it. It's just a pleasure to see what you guys are doing and that you're having so much fun at it. I, I can't I can't uh, tell you how uh what an honor it is to get stories, to hear stories from the actual source. And, exactly. and and thank you for that. And thank you for your service. Well, thank you guys for doing what you do. And, and uh, glad you survived the Harrier. Yeah, as, as are we. So. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got a couple other thank yous we need to put out there. Uh, first of all, Fig, first and foremost, who gets us there? We got to thank Dave Hamilton, my man, Dave Hamilton. Thank you, right. Dave. Over at the Mac Geek Gab and the Business Brain Podcast at the Gig Gab as well for musicians. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate what you do for us. Thanks also to Robin's Bird Brain Designs, our sponsor, and the parttimepilot.com with the Audio Ground School podcast. Appreciate you uh, sharing your podcast stories with us, and we're sharing them with everyone else. Also, if you want to reach out to us and ask us any questions, particularly about becoming a pilot, I don't care if you're 14 or 40 and you want to become a pilot, get out there and do it. Go over to the airport and start doing it. If you've got questions about that, write first of all to sticks. It's so there I was.us. Any other questions or feedback, feel free to write sticks or fig at so there I was.us or repeat at so there I was.us. Also, there's Robin's Bird Brain Designs and the folks that you were uh, starting to hear in the background who give the Air Force a good name. Who's that, Fig? <laughs> That's the Dose Gringos. Man, those guys are awesome. They were a lot of fun to have on. They're amazing musicians. Very talented, very clever and creative. We appreciate that. We have a glossary page up, and we have a sponsors page and a subscribe page. So go to so there I was us slash subscribe and find us on your favorite method of listening to podcasts, be it Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, any one of them. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find a subscribe button there for us. And in the meantime, thanks for joining us. Stay safe and check six. Well, there I was crossing the pond and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. Of all the shit I was wearing on that day Now an F-16 is cramped enough But it's even worse With all that stuff supposed to save your life But we knew there was no way Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic Man, it's over It's over I'll be back